People are very quick to project technology adoption curves onto Bitcoin. But the problem is that Bitcoin is not just a technology. It's not just a smartphone or a computer or a social network or a new stock or security or a new payment method or a search engine or a messaging platform or any new product, app, or service. Bitcoin is an entire techno-socio-economic transformation. It is a reinvention of money from the ground up, incompatible with any prior primitives. So it's not only orders of magnitude larger as a shift, but it's also completely different in a paradigmatic sense. These are massive benefits and massive hurdles. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we've got an awesome read. Getting back into the the reads today, um, I've got quite a few of these backed up. A lot of you have sent me some really, really good ones. I think BTK is actually the first one who uh, uh, pointed me to this article, if I'm not mistaken, in the Audionauts group. Uh, If that is the case, I'm going to confirm... Uh, shoot me an invoice for 21,000 sats. Good, sir. It is much appreciated. But this is written by my good friend and amazing Bitcoiner with so many great writings, head of the Bitcoin Times, and uh, which I have two physical copies of and I'm super excited about, uh, or one copy of both of the magazines. And he has also written, or should be done soon, I'm not sure, I know it's coming soon, The Bushido of Bitcoin and just the idea of it sounds, it also sounds really in line with the article we're actually reading today because it's the, it's the philosophy, right? It's, it's the, the ideas that are embraced in the, the values of Bitcoin, so to speak. Uh, but it's a really cool sounding book and I'm seriously excited. In fact, I might actually, I think I'll probably get, try to get Alex on the show to just kind of dig into the concepts and get an opportunity to shield the book um, uh, just as it's released or something. But I'm stoked about that. Always been a fan of Svetsky's writing. But there are so many good Bitcoin books and things coming out that I'm trying to keep up with. There's no way I'm going to be able to keep up with this. I've definitely been buying books at a much, much faster rate than I can possibly read them. But we have a great piece today, and this one actually made it to Zero Hedge as well, but we're reading it from Bitcoin Magazine. Again, Alex Svetsky is our author, and it is called... The Three Generations Theory, How Bitcoin Reaches Mass Adoption in 60 Years. And I absolutely love this perspective, and this was such a good piece. So we are going to thank our sponsors really quick, and then we are going to jump right in. If you are looking to onboard into Bitcoin and you want the the best foundation, you want the best practices and behaviors and policies going into this space and you want a company that has survived the crashes and without leverage go to swan bitcoin swanbitcoin.com slash guy will get you to the simplest most comprehensive way to buy some bitcoin learn how to custody custody it uh, set up a savings account the whole shoot and match 
And then you are going to want a place to secure that Bitcoin to keep it safe. And that's where you're going to grab yourself a cold card or one of the many hardware wallets and uh, devices available at CoinKite. And you will get yourself a 9% discount with code Bitcoin Audible. I actually just ordered a new batch of tap signers and I'm very happy because they're going to be here soon. And then lastly, stacking sats with the lowest possible friction, the fold card. Switch your debit card to a debit card that pays you sats back and stack like crazy. Today, I have my biggest monthly expense come through for the business and I got 3% back on the first spin. I was so stoked. I took a screenshot. I got $70 back. It was 100,000 sats. And for something that I would have gotten zero sats for if I had been using my boring bank debit card. And if you want 20,000 sats for free for signing up for the free account at Fold, go to bitcoinaudible.com fold and it'll take you right there. With that, let's get into today's read. And it's titled... The Three Generations Theory, How Bitcoin Reaches Mass Adoption in 60 Years By Alexander Svetsky Whether Bitcoiners like it or not, large-scale Bitcoin adoption is not coming this decade or next. It's simply going to take a number of generations to filter into society. This is an opinion editorial by Alexander Svetsky, author of The Uncommunist Manifesto, The Bitcoin Times, and the viral and controversial Remnant Series, and head of growth and strategy at Lucent Labs. Bitcoiners are notorious for their overestimation of how quickly Bitcoin is going to, quote, take over the world and become, quote, widely adopted as money. I've sat squarely in that camp for a long time now, but have come to think differently of late. Before you accuse me of giving up or call me a flake, I ask that you read on and reserve your opinion until the end. I like to think that I am maturing in how I view Bitcoin, call it temperance, patience, or a dose of humility, but I am trying to add some realism or a lower time preference to the often overhyped perception of Bitcoin among some of us. But as you'll note, I think on a longer time scale, none of us are, quote, bullish enough. Hat tip to CK. Let's dive in. Bitcoin is a techno-socio-economic transformation. People are very quick to project technology adoption curves onto Bitcoin. But the problem is that Bitcoin is not just a technology. It's not just a smartphone or a computer or a social network or a new stock or security or a new payment method or a search engine or a messaging platform or any other new product, app, or service. Bitcoin is an entire techno-socio-economic transformation. It's a reinvention of money from the ground up, incompatible with any prior primitives. So it's not only orders of magnitude larger as a shift, but it's also completely different in a paradigmatic sense. These are massive benefits and massive hurdles. Benefits because, one, Bitcoin has the most significant upside possible. If it is fixed in supply and the market it's going for is global money, implying that it will be the measure against which every stock, property, business, vehicle, handbag, or thing that exists on the earth is evaluated, 
then it follows that Bitcoin will in time be the single most liquid and valuable unit of value on Earth. Two, if it's incompatible with the old, it is truly a paradigm shift. If it's superior, which it's proven to be across every dimension important for money, then it will not just compete with the old guard, but it will completely replace it. This is not a carving out of a new market, but a winner-take-all and fundamentally change-the-nature-of-the-game kind of transformation. It's much bigger. And hurdles because, 1. Such a transformation is a big deal. Becoming global money will not be a walk in the park. It will not come easy. It will face many, many headwinds, and corpses will line the path along that journey. Change is hard at the best of times, and with the most willing of counterparts. We've got neither on our side. 2. The nature of paradigm shifts is that most people don't see them, and even when they do, they rarely understand them. As such, it takes a while to achieve critical mass, whatever that measure even means, and a much, much longer time to arrive at so-called mass adoption. Not only that, but people don't like to be wrong, especially incumbents. So, other than the time factor, you have the pushback and ridicule from everyone. These are both real hurdles and necessary to recognize. You can't just close your eyes and ears, tweet that Bitcoin fixes this, and pretend it's all going to be okay because NGU always happens. No. We need to understand that we're playing the greatest game, as Jeff Booth would say, with the greatest stakes for the largest winnings against the greatest foes, both external and internal. We're fighting both the establishment and the very cultures we've been brought up in. There is more change that needs to occur than any of us could possibly fathom. I don't say this to discourage you from Bitcoin, or to make you feel like, damn, I'm going to die before I see the upside. But to A, inspire you to realize that this is probably bigger than you thought, and to B, dose you with some realism so that you can prepare yourself mentally and quit playing short-term games. You have to pace yourself. Bitcoin is a marathon, not a sprint. The Three Generations Theory Large-scale socioeconomic shifts take generations to settle in and normalize. The old guard needs to die, so to speak, so that those born into the new paradigm can lead. Each generation is a paradigm shift in and of itself, and each successive such change brings with it a completely new understanding of and relationship to Bitcoin. Let's explore these. Generation 1. The Infection Stage We are in the first generation of Bitcoin. Call it the first chapter or the first era. This era or generation will span 20 years and will form the infection stage for Bitcoin. I call it that because in this stage, Bitcoin is infecting the system. It's a virus of sorts that latches onto hosts who then act in such a way as to cause it to spread further. Its intent is to infect key infrastructure, key mines, key levers, and key systems in the current paradigm. It needs to initially creep in as unnoticed as possible, 
then forms some sort of symbiosis with the host as it grows, so that there emerge mutual benefits for both the ever-expanding set of hosts and the virus, in this case, Bitcoin. We've seen this happen. In this stage, Bitcoin has to prove that it was something someone would trade money for, or pizza. It had to show a significant commercial proof of concept, which it did with the Silk Road. It needed to proceed through an early stage of monetization, Mt. Gox, and it had to then inspire an entire industry of copycats because what it did was so transformative, which we've seen with shitcoins. With this comes a whole lot of speculation, until we finally reach significant enough saturation in total market capitalization or liquidity that we can make a phase transition to a new paradigm. We're right in the middle stages of the speculation mini-era of this first generation, or infection stage of Bitcoin's early life. While some of us radicals view and use Bitcoin as money and our unit of account, the rest of the world generally views it as a speculative asset, or something you trade for more USD. There's a reason why it's correlated with markets, and why there may be some signs of decoupling. It really is still early, and people will continue in the near term to treat it as a risk-on asset. Some people call this a bad thing and argue that it takes away from what the promise of Bitcoin was in the beginning. But I think they're missing the point. Money makes the world go round, and never more so than in the modern material world that we live in. Therefore, to have the greatest impact and ensure the most effective symbiosis, Bitcoin has to be an economic and financial animal. To fix the debauchery, Bitcoin must subsume the debauchery and then slowly, like a virus, or in the case of Bitcoin, an antivirus, infect the hosts and begin to change them. The lowering of time preference and the subsequent adaptation and maturation of people's behavior is an oft-cited example of this effect. If you'd like to learn more about that, see Seyfedi Namus's article in the Austrian edition of the Bitcoin Times, Making Time Preference Low Again. So, there you have it. Generation 1, a 20-year time span. We're 15 years in and very much on track. We have another 5 years to go before the next generation. And in these 5 years, we will see two more halvings, an enormous amount of speculation, and a real acceleration toward that liquidity or saturation of market capitalization I mentioned earlier. At the same time, behind the scenes, things will be built to set the stage for the next generation. Which, of course, brings us to... Generation 2. The Infrastructure Stage. Imagine being born in 2009 the same year that Bitcoin was. You grow up and come of age in a world where Bitcoin has always existed. For you, as a kid growing up, you just took it as a given that money is a digital thing. And this convoluted idea of opening up bank accounts or walking around with printed paper bills and plastic cards just seems foreign or strange to you. In 2029, you're turning 20, and perhaps speculation hasn't really been on your mind yet. Perhaps instead you see a problem that needs to be solved, and you simply view Bitcoin as a tool to help you solve it. Keep in mind that at this stage, Bitcoin's price would be significantly higher and the volatility lower. 
things like the Lightning Network will be more advanced, alongside other abstracted layers anchored in Bitcoin. As such, you view all of this early, emergent infrastructure as a toolbox, not so much a speculative asset. In fact, you might view other things that way and choose to gamble with them. But because A, Bitcoin has matured and the volatility has dampened a bit, and B, so many services now offer Bitcoin as a funding option, you decide that it's the standard against which you will measure your gains. It's no longer the speculative asset first. There's even a chance that your parents were Bitcoiners of the first generation, and they taught you principles or passed Bitcoin over to you, and you grew up immersed in it. So not only is Bitcoin something that's just always been around, it's something you deeply understand. Neither are far-fetched ideas, given the era you've grown up in. Imagine how you and those in your generation will view Bitcoin and how you'll all use it. Completely differently, yes. That's why I see this next stage as the tooling or infrastructure stage. In this era, Bitcoin will finally move on from the speculators and into the hearts, minds, and hands of the builders. The 20-year-olds who were raising capital and building businesses in this era will use Bitcoin, Lightning, and other layers as tools that give them such a significant edge in the world that we will see an entire array of products and services that integrate money into their operations, in much the same way that communication has been embedded in everything we use today. The incentives will evolve in such a way that having Bitcoin and its abstracted layers in your toolkit will give you superpowers. But keep in mind that for much of this era, the generation beforehand will still be pulling the purse strings, there will still be a cultural normative element that views Bitcoin as foreign or speculative, and despite everything that's going on, will fight to hang on to the past. This era will be the clash of the new builders and Generation 1 Bitcoiners on one side versus the remaining elite of the old world who still own much of the fiat wealth, stocks, bonds, property, enterprise, shitcoins, etc., Generation 1 and 2 Bitcoiners, especially in the early innings of this era, will still be outnumbered. But of course, no great man ever backed down from a fight, no matter the odds. You take this period out 20 years, to 2049, and I don't think any of us can begin to fathom the kind of infrastructure, products, and services that will come from it, and how much the tide will shift. Which of course brings me to... Generation 3, the mass adoption stage. This is the generation of mass adoption. This is where our children's children come of age. They will truly not know of a world in which Bitcoin didn't exist and may actually enter adulthood without even knowing what fiat is. The end of this era is when the last remnants of our generation will begin to die off and whatever duct tape was holding any of the old infrastructure together will melt away. The city of fiat will be abandoned and will enter the true mainstream adoption phase. You might be thinking, no man, it will happen faster because look at all the tech that's going to be built by then. But I'd counter that, sure, lots of tech will be built, but I'm pretty certain that a significant number of people will still hesitate to sell their homes, their cars, their products or services for magic internet money. That number will have shrunk significantly, 
But if you think that governments, large corporations, and people who have succeeded in life from one method of operation are going to go all in and trust a 40-year-old money over things like property that have been around for thousands of years, then you're kidding yourself. Bitcoin is where we will end up, but the wealth needs to change hands first, and that will take time. This is why I believe this third generation is where the mass adoption phase occurs. They will come of age in a world where we have superior financial technology and an economic infrastructure that will allow them to use Bitcoin as capital. The most liquid, the most widely accessible, the most significant, trusted form of capital available. Take this to 2069, and you're talking about a completely different world. This is when Bitcoin truly comes of age. It's the stage when fiat either dissolves, dies, or becomes some relic of the past, while Bitcoin becomes both a global settlement layer and the global money. It's the point in which Bitcoin or some abstracted application layer anchored into it forms an integral part of almost all technological applications used by people from all around the world. At this point, Bitcoin is no longer the virus, but has united with and created a new host. What happens beyond that, I do not know, but it's exciting to think about. We'll be in a very new paradigm by that point. For our children's children. You'll note by my language that my certainty about what happens at each stage diminishes as we get further out. I'm pretty sure of what the next five years hold, and I have a level of confidence for at least the first half of the second era. But beyond that, I can only assume and give broad strokes as to what's likely. This is because I'm human, and humans always underestimate compound effects, while Bitcoin is subject to more compounding effects than just about anything else we know of, at the very least as an asset, if not other things. With each day that passes in each new Satoshi held by each new user, with each new miner that plugs in, each new merchant that accepts Bitcoin, each new node that runs, and each new lightning channel open, Bitcoin compounds and grows. None of us are ready for what this means across three full generations, and sadly, a lot of us won't live to see it. But that's the straw we've drawn. Our generation has bestowed upon us the gift of being the founding fathers of a new world, and the curse of enduring clown world for this privilege. While we may not get to really enjoy the fruits of this labor, we will have been the generation that goes down in the history books as the one that changed it all. I don't know about you, but that's a trade-off worth making. First-generation Bitcoiners are those who laid the foundation and the first stones for the cathedrals of the ancient and feudal eras. They'd never live to see these structures finished, but they would forever be memorialized as their founders. And who knows, perhaps we'll look down from the next realm and admire what we've done, like those greats who came before us did for their creations. I don't know. What matters, and I will leave you with this, is to recognize that Bitcoin is a multi-generational phenomenon. It's not Google, Apple, Twitter, a smartphone, PayPal, Visa, a stock, or a mere commodity. It's so much bigger than all of these combined, 
And because of how fundamentally significant this is, it will take people time to adopt it. It will take a few generations to normalize. It will take our deaths to see it reach its potential. Not that we need to be round up and shot, but that our generation needs to give way to the next and the next for the new paradigm to truly take hold. Once we're gone, Bitcoin will truly flourish. I hope you keep that in mind when thinking about Bitcoin. We need to be careful about projecting technology adoption curves on it, and through disappointment attempt to tinker with it. What is not broken doesn't always need to be fixed or upgraded. And in fact, perhaps Bitcoin's number one feature of all is the fact that it will not change, or change very little, in the timescales I've referred to in this essay. If Bitcoin's consensus rules have remained unchanged, and it has TikTok next blocked for three, four, five decades, then people will naturally have developed the thing that matters most for a new socioeconomic standard and paradigm. Trust. And as much as Bitcoiners hate that word, trust matters. The truth is that you most trust that which you can verify. This is why Bitcoin will ultimately be the most trusted monetary, economic, and communications layer on Earth. After a few generations. I hope you enjoyed this piece and that I've challenged your thinking. Follow me at Svetsky Writes on Twitter for more. And keep an eye out for my new book, The Bushido of Bitcoin, which will be available for pre-order on geyser.fund in March. I'm also trialing a new Bitcoin app called OpenTip, where you can tip Bitcoiners for work you value. You can check that out here. All right, let's take a quick break for our sponsor, and then I definitely want to do a guy's take on this piece. I have got three new tap signers on the way. Uh, ordered them not too long ago with my uh, cold card Q1 uh, pre-order that is available now on the website. But I got some really cool tap signers and they've got custom designs and things on them. So definitely go check out the store if you haven't. And I've also got another couple of sats cards, which sats cards are like open dimes that you can reload up to 10 times. And I'm increasingly thinking of using them as a way to give out and or exchange, move Bitcoin around, uh, particularly in like the Bitcoin meetups. I don't know, they're just really cool and they come in a ton of different designs. In fact, I'm thinking about when we roll out the new look of Bitcoin Audible, I've been thinking about doing, uh, maybe doing a sats card that's branded for Bitcoin Audible. I don't know if you guys would be interested in that. Let me know because I'm considering it. It would be, it's, it's cool. I like the sats card. They're pretty awesome. And of course, if you need a hardware wallet to keep your Bitcoin keys safe, you're going to have to check out the cold card. And you can also get the cold card Q1 pre-ordered, which I just did, which is like the Blackberry of Cypherpunk vaults. Check it all out and get a 9% discount on the cold card Mark IV or earlier and the Q1 when it finally releases with code BitcoinAudible. You'll find the link right in the show notes at BitcoinAudible.com slash cold card. With that, let's jump back into the show. There's something really romantic about the idea of the first generation that has to lay the foundation, that has to adopt and kind of bring Bitcoin into the world, which is our generation, really, is that the first generation 
to embrace a new socioeconomic system that will reinstill low time preference and thinking out generations and planning for the future would necessarily need to sacrifice or at least accept that they may never really see the end. They may never really truly see the fruits of that sacrifice. And it's funny how easy, I really love this theory. Um, And it's funny how easy it is to fall into the, the technological adoption curve thought process. Um, And I feel like I go back and forth too. I read a lot of things about I mean, we cover all this stuff on the show, basically. Um, but, you know, I'll read a lot about the philosophy in the long term. And there's, you know, uh, Richard James, um, generational wealth uh, done with Swan, the Swan crew in the Swan Studios, um, which is a really phenomenal vi- video. And it is, it is that projecting out of, you know, 50 years, 100 years and about building something that is going to last. But I think Svetsky in this piece in particular, just kind of really narrows down and isolates that the values that Bitcoin instills is the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin, is for it to create that value, those values and that culture in the world as the dominant culture that runs the socioeconomic fabric of this planet. That requires three generations. Now, from a technological perspective, I think we will be intertwined, like so attached to Bitcoin as a network, as a communications network, and a data and monetary network, that in 10 to 15 years, it may feel like we have mass adoption. Almost like the internet felt like it was mass adoption. It was very, very popular in the mid-2000s, but it was just before the mobile revolution, when it basically went 10x. But cultural and value changes, like when you're looking at it from a social perspective, and this is also why monetary histories, monetary transitions are always historically very, very long. I mean, they happen literally over centuries. And we talk about that a lot on the show as well when we dig into the economics is that that's why it makes a lot more sense to put Bitcoin on a longer timescale because it's not just a technological transition. It is a monetary transition. And the money of society alters behaviors, ideologies, the philosophy, and the understanding, the perspective, the worldview of those built into that system who, you know, we are the product of our environment and the incentives in that environment. And Bitcoin is a set of rules that will ultimately clash with the way we think, behave, and the practices that we have in today's culture. It only works in fiat. And an interesting idea to think of the perspective of how long it would take to shift is think about how long the financial degenerate um, culture, the government is going to bail us out and is going to manipulate and control everything and the woke, I am the center of the world, everyone, and everything is just about getting as much happiness 
and short-term reward as possible, even if that makes me fat and disgusting. I'm not actually unhealthy. You're just afraid of me. That like this this degenerate culture of no forward-looking, hating children and thinking the world is going to end in 12 years and having no plan for anything in the future. You will never, ever build a promising future if you literally have built your worldview around a future not existing and not caring about the next generation and your children and their children to actually build something for them rather than us for a change. That we expect the world to be around and we expect it to be a better place because we are going to make it a better place. We're not going to give up and just go have sex with anything that's got a hole in it and then just wait to die alone, happy that we don't have screaming kids running around. Like, I want to like be a part of the world. Do something for the long term, plan for a better future. And how can you possibly do that in the fiat world? Look at the culture that dominates, that is rewarded monetarily, and it's foundational. The foundation pushes and rewards all of the negative behavior, all of the broken philosophy, because it's simply disconnected from the world. We lose the ability to exchange and communicate values between each other and the ability to communicate the consequences of those values. Values matter. Culture matters. Behaviors matter. And if we don't change it, that's what we are trying to change. That is ultimately what we are trying to change. And that's why the shitcoins and the crypto world is such, it's such an indicative thing. Like when you, when you really dig down into it, to me, it feels like obviously, obviously it is so different from fiat. I mean, excuse me, it's so different from Bitcoin because it is the fiat culture. It's the same, like everything's going to be tokenized. We're going to financialize everything and we're just going to create a bunch of, we're just going to constantly trade these things back and forth and we're going to make value even though we're not really doing anything. There's nothing happening in the real world. These aren't connected to anything real. And every time we think we have some additional utility or some additional use case, we're going to make a token and financialize it and trade it and speculate on it before it even exists. Or that utility is going to be the speculation and trading of the token of the thing that we can speculate and financialize before it exists. And when you consider Bitcoin as a system of property rights and rules, as a socioeconomic foundation, an instantiation of an actual philosophy and a set of values that matter and why they matter, the privacy, the private property, the sovereignty, you come to understand that what you are what we mean when we mean Bitcoin adoption is the adoption of those values. It is the changing of how humans think. That is what makes Bitcoin something that is going to change everything. And he has a really good point, even though it, when, I, when I'm looking at the timeline, there's a difference between the technological adoption and the philosophical adoption. And he's absolutely right. There's a really great quote in here. Uh, in fact, let me let me find it so I can get it spot on. Okay, it says, you might be thinking, no man, it'll happen faster because look at all the tech that's going to be built by then. But I counter that, sure, lots of tech will be built then, but I'm pretty certain that a significant number of people will still hesitate to sell their homes, their cars, their products or services for magic internet money. That number will have shrunk significantly. But if you think that governments, large corporations, and people who have succeeded in life from one method of operation are going to go all in and trust a 40-year-old money over things like property that have been around for thousands of years, 
then you're kidding yourself. I thought that was a really great perspective, a really great way to put it, is the people who have succeeded in life from one method of operation, whose values have taken them to the pinnacle of society from as, as they see it, according to the structures at, that they trust and the institutions that they believe hold the authority and the, the legitimacy for their position in society, for the wealth that they have attained, that they will just abandon all of that because something is going up in price. They will buy some of it and they will hold on to some of it, sure, as a speculative investment, but they will not embrace the ideology. They will still insist, probably until they die, that it's a stupid, degenerate culture that has lost, has lost their way. Um, but, you know, you got to put it in your portfolio. Because these stupid kids today, they, they buy their, magic, their dumb magic internet money. But ultimately, that's, that's what it is, right? It's the change in how people think. And there are simply generations, the older generations, that won't. You get to a point and it's just not easy to think a new way anymore especially when you were were rewarded over and over by the old way and going back to what i was saying about the finance culture rotting and the the social culture like everything falling apart and becoming aggressively short term aggressively high time preference our debt is just another you know, another tr trillions and trillions of dollars just to get through the next couple of years. Like we have become such a high time preference society. We have literally become the only fans era, both in a financial standpoint and a social and relationship standpoint, from an advertising standpoint, from a self-identity standpoint. Everything is just incredibly shallow. I would say that transition took what, 30, 40 years from the 80s and early 90s? That was probably the peak. That was probably the turn where there seemed to be this calm before the storm of everything breaking down. And then it was like the dot-com bubble was kind of that first strong iteration in, in this direction of a, of a huge uh, interest, you know, uh, interest rate controls debt bubble. And then there was this kind of subtle... This, this minor manipulation, well, minor in context, it was a huge freaking deal then, but it was minor in the context of where we have come today. And then you have 2008, you have, you have that next cycle going through, the, the next larger credit cycle. And that's when the degenerate behavior and the bailout of all the corrupt, uh, all the quote-unquote authoritative institutions that were deeply and disgustingly irresponsible where they just endlessly incentivized bad behavior and then directly rewarded it while the rest of the population and the middle class got demolished the rich got richer and they paid for none of their costs none of the pain and suffering that they put on the country and what happened what is the consequence of that? What is the nihilism that results from seeing bad people do bad things and get rewarded while you lose your house? What do you think that does to a generation that lives thinking that that is how the world works? Or worse, is that this is the way it should work? 
and then deciding that the only course of action is to get as much political power as possible so that you're the one that gets bailed out. I'm the one that deserves the handout, me. I'll take the political power and I'll get it this time. So does it make sense that it takes 30 years to dig our way out? And if it takes three generations, if it takes 60 years to truly get to the values instilled by a true global frictionless sovereign and sound monetary system, if that makes us give up, if that makes us not care about seeing it to its conclusion, then didn't we fail to learn the lesson in the first place? Like, isn't that the values? How else do we instill that value by being the generation that says it's okay that we don't get to see the end? I mean, how could we possibly solve a systemic global problem of high time preference if we slow down or get disheartened because it's going to take too long, which is the very problem of high time preference. And, you know, I, I get really heated about this, but I, and, and I don't want to shit on anybody and like I call people terrible or stupid or fat or whatever. But honestly, I just feel sorry for people a lot. You know, I went on Twitter today, which was bad. Um, you go on Twitter and you're just going to leave with a, in a bad mood. Uh, but uh, you could go hang out on Noster for a little while and, and, you know, enjoy the love. But it's just so sad. It's so sad to see. That, like, there was this video of a, a comedian. I think she was with The Daily Show. I'm not sure. But it was a video of her talking about how great her life is and she's like old i don't even know how old she is and and i don't mean that in like an insulting way i mean it like i don't think she'll be able to have kids even if she wanted to but this was like supposed to be like a funny skit and i just i was so depressed by the end of it and she was talking about how great it is to it's like one of those plays on one of those like day in the life of Uh, I'm going around and I get my latte and I do my thing and she's like talking about how she (laughs) masturbated first thing in the morning and she went and got a latte and there's no screaming kids and then she met some hot dude on Grindr that she's going to hook up with later and then she went to lunch and she's got no screaming kids and like all this stuff and go through the day and it got like dumber and dumber like the jokes that... She's like a superwoman. She's going to save the world because she's got no screaming kids, blah, blah, blah. But it's just like this. Everything that she came up, I just like could not get over how empty it felt like. I would just be so like, that's what I live for. That's what I live for. Masturbating and finding somebody on Grinder and going to get a latte. And that I would be at that age and happy that I didn't have any screaming kids. Now I'm not going to say it's a... It's struggle bus some days, you know, as a, as a father with a nine-year-old uh, kid. Yes, there's screaming kids sometimes in the room, but I've, I love the absolute shit out of him. Like, I can't imagine not having him around. Like, as a dad, I have become such a bitch. I tear up all the time. I'm tearing up thinking about it right now. But imagine celebrating that you're it. And that you're going to spend all day, every day, just doing whatever for the next 30 seconds most pleases you. And then just being happy that there's nothing after you. 
that that's it. I'm just going to do this until the day I die and I'm going to be demented at some point and all alone. Like, I just felt sorry for her. And I think the culture, like, the, the world has done this to so many people and it's so backwards. And, man, I don't know. It's just crazy. Like, that these things compound on themselves and to think of this as, like, a massive, sh- like, like, think of this as, like, one giant organism and we're just sick. We're a socioeconomic system that is collapsing in on itself because it lost the communication mechanism necessary to plan past its lifetime. Our money is our relationship with our past and our future on a values perspective. And when money obscures it rather than communicates it, It stands in the way of understanding the real values and the work and the cost that went into it and what will be left over for the next generation. And when money becomes a tool that is directly and systemically rewarding of political authority, the proximity to its power center, rewarding debt over savings, consumption over production, and bails out the irresponsible and corrupt at the expense of the health of society as a whole, the ultimate in selfish me-me generation. What does that do to people? To see that as the means by which the world runs and success is attained. Quote, Our generation has bestowed upon us both the gift of being the founding fathers of a new world and the curse of enduring clown world for this privilege. While we may not really get to enjoy the fruits of this labor, we will have been the generation that goes down in the history books as the one that changed it all. I don't know about you, but that's a trade-off worth making. Amen, Svetsky. Always, always great writing. Um, big fan of Svetsky, uh, and I highly recommend checking out the Bitcoin Times. And you know what? Actually, I will conclude this with his final thoughts. I'll just go ahead and read this stupid thing to the end. Um, uh, just because I really like this element of it, and I want to I make a comment about it before we close this. It says, If Bitcoin's consensus rules have remained unchanged... And it has TikTok next blocked for three, four, five decades. People will naturally have developed the thing that matters most for a new socioeconomic standard and paradigm. Trust. And that is ultimately the transition that we are in the middle of. The breakdown in trust of the old system, which is ongoing of 30 years and the recognition and the embracing of the trust of a new system. One with an entirely different set of rules, rules that are incompatible, and that we recognize and talk about all the time as being incompatible, with a set of values and a monetary value that is incompatible, that cannot exist with this other thing on a long enough time frame. Changing the socioeconomic fabric of society is not an easy or a fast thing to do. But that is what Bitcoin is doing. We'll close that there.
Um, I do want to actually share a couple of fountain boosts here. So I had something fun. I've used lightning a lot today. I've been moving like a bunch of things around and I had like a whew, wow moment because I sent um, two $500-ish transactions over lightning today and had no problems with any of it. And all of it but the withdrawals were like non-custodial lightning wallet so it wasn't like i was constantly using because the only custodian i operated with today was fountain and i was just withdrawing sats from them which by the way the reason i was moving some stuff around is because i'm getting ready to get into another project and i'm really really excited about it it's a bit of an investment but i think i'm i'm really happy about it um and i think it's actually going to work and i'm hoping fingers crossed i'm, tr I'm trying to push to make these things happen because I want to see this to the end. It would be a big deal and it would be a pretty big project too. Uh, the biggest thing that I've taken on since starting Bitcoin Audible, but I think it's doable. I think it's really doable and I'm, I'm excited. So know that um, the sats, any sats that you donate are going to that. That's what I've been trying to do is consolidate all the stuff I want. Those, all of that that comes in go to going to either development uh, in like coding and on specific projects or apps, little things that we're trying to build. Like I'm trying to build, I've invested some money into getting a, uh, slash tags WordPress login so that anybody with a WordPress page can just create this little plugin and you've got hole punch and anybody can just log in with their slash tags profile. I think that'll be really cool and hoping that that's soon ish on the horizon. I don't really have a good timeline, but I'm trying to direct towards those projects and then also some really good stuff, some really fun stuff with Bitcoin Audible that I don't want to spoil and I don't want to talk, out, talk about for too, too long. But just know I thank you very, very much and uh, the sats that you guys boost and send in are actually beginning to make a pretty big difference in being able to put towards those, those sorts of projects. And it's kind of cool to just be like, wow, this some some money actually trickled in over here and that's like paying sats tips uh tips from noster um tips from uh fountain boosting and streaming streaming sats per minute that that revenue stream is becoming meaningful is so crazy like that's a it's a whole different world you know but anyway the what got me thinking about it was that i did like a ton of lightning transactions today and i had no problems. Everything went through great. And it was just, it just hit me at some point. I was like, man, I have just done like bukus of transactions and got a bunch of different tips and stuff throughout the day as well. Um, so I was getting stuff in on Nostra all the time and that's to LNURL. So that's all just again, directly to me. But I did 50, I did, decided to count. I, I did 53 transactions in a single day and I went looking to see if any of them open channels because I, I didn't really know. Um, and it looks like one of them to my Breeze wallet opened a channel. So I did 53 transactions in a single day and only one of them resulted in an on-chain fee or on-chain presence at all. And I just could not get over how crazy that was. And that I did a transaction of $500 of like 2 million, somewhere around 2 million something sats that went through without a hitch as well. Anyway, I just wanted to share that. Um, we've got a uh, 1,500 sats boost from Mark C. Uh, actually, he's got a response to this. this is uh, Basics boost. Curious, what is visible to the public on-chain? 
And this is responding to basics 04 wallets and transactions. Okay, so he did he did actually respond to it. Um, if I have multiple UTXOs that are all under one wallet, are they all visible under one entity or would they be viewed as separate? And then a little bit later, he comments, says, never mind, I think you answered this. Ha ha. So just to reiterate for anybody who may have had that question or missed that part is the UTXOs are aggregated by your wallet. Your wallet is just an abstraction of all the different UTXOs that you find on the chain and check and realize that they are connected to your lock, your public key, right? But on the chain to everyone else, they just look like random UTXOs in this huge thing. And unless they are to the same exact address, there's nothing explicitly connecting them. You know, like they might be thousands of blocks separating each other and that's that's all they see. There's no there's no real connection between those two things until like if you re- receive 0.5 in a, one transaction and 0.5 in another transaction and they're both different addresses. Well, at different times, there's zero connection whatsoever that those have anything to do with each other. But as soon as you aggregate them in your wallet and then spend them, if you spend one Bitcoin from your wallet, you have to sign both UTXOs. You have to sign both uh, addresses and both 0.5 Bitcoin balances at the same time in the same transaction. And now it is obvious that they are behind the same key. But until you do that, there is no, there's no real connection unless you've leaked information somewhere else. But this is exactly why if you've ever heard the term coin control, uh, that that is what they're talking about is if you have that degree of privacy and that separation between addresses, how do you make sure that when you're spending your, from your wallet, you don't constantly cross inputs or UTXOs that you don't need to? How do you control which transactions you spend from to actually make it so that they stay separate seeming? So anyway, thank you for the boost. And uh, I'm glad that I answered your question. Um, uh, in, in Lil, 500 sats, Econo Alchemist, I'm so glad you pointed me toward Fediment, my dude. On read 702, uh, pools as a solution to centralization risk. What is up? Thank you for the boost. And I'm not sure if you're saying that you are Econo Alchemist or if Econo Alchemist pointed you toward this, but if, if you are Econo, Al- Econo Alchemist, what's up, man? It's been a while. If you're saying that he pointed you in this direction. Tell him thank you. Then we got Bon boosted in at 1337. Leet sets. Get mining, plebs. It's pretty fun. It is, that is 100% true. This is from Basic 2 hashes and proof of work. Seriously, it, mining is not as intimidating as it seems. And it is really fun. There's something really awesome knowing that you're hashing downstairs or to heat your house or something. And I hope to have a video pretty soon about exactly that to show you how easy it can actually be. And I hope it makes it less intimidating. Then uh, Black Toshi comes in with 121 sets. I must be based because I never heard of self-hosted wallets. (laughs) Oh God, you were lucky. Um, Also, any idea how to explain UTXOs simply? I tried explaining to my girlfriend, but she can't grasp it and I can't break it down anymore. Okay. Something UTXOs more simply. So think of it like a transaction is like a check that just says an amount 
and who it's from, and then the verification of that, the, the irrelevant account information, the signature to prove, to prove, quote unquote, but you get the idea. In the context of Bitcoin, this would be proof. You sign it to prove that it's coming from you and it's gone to this new person. Well, you can't split up a check. Like, the check is just it. And in the sense of Bitcoin, that is a UTXO. Your check is proof of payment. Like, that is just like, you know, you got $142 on that check. Well, then it's just as if that is the bearer asset in and of itself. It is proof of $142, where it came from, and who now owns it. Now, let's say somebody else paid you with a check, and they paid you $40. Well, now you have two checks. You have one of $142 and one of $40. Your wallet just pulls together all the checks that are of, and that's a Bitcoin transaction, literally. It's the same identification markers and the same elements of proof. It's just a thousand billion times higher integrity. It's, It's proof that that exact thing happened and that exact amount was transferred and nobody can cheat it. There's no, there's no blank checks or there's no, uh, not blank checks, but bounced checks. There's, as soon as you have the transaction and all of the proof, it's yours. Bitcoin says it is, and there's no going back in Bitcoin's history and changing it. Unless, of course, you outpace the entire globe of computers hashing to defend it with a wall of energy. Now, to spend $160, you have two checks. You have one with 142 and one with 40. Well, what you do is you sign over those checks, you void them, and then you create a new set of checks. You create one of 160 going to whoever you want to send it to, and then you create another one with the leftover $22 onto a new check. And your verification that you still have $22 is the proof that you spent $160 to this other person. And what is left over after you take $142 and $40 together and void those old checks is $22. So you have signed two previous checks in order to issue a new check of $22 and send the rest of that balance $160 to someone else. And you gave the check to them. And now they have one UTXO and you have one UTXO. So that might be a good way to visualize it, is they are permanent, indivisible checks that transfer from check to check, and they are the bearer asset themselves, and they hold all of the security. You do not redeem them because the check is the secure thing in regards to ownership. So maybe that's a better visualization, and hopefully hopefully that helps. All right, we got uh, JK Trades. Boosted 700 sats. Let's win the race. Read 700, the race to avoid the war. Thank you. I agree. We are going to win the freaking race. And it's a marathon. As we learned today in Svetsky's piece, it's a marathon, not a sprint. All right, we got uh, Fernando V boosted in 1,000 sats. Uh, ECB is trapped. Here's why. Lynn Alden piece. Just wow. That's it. Um, I, I agree. That's an awesome freaking piece. User 877, bunch of numbers, boosted 100 sats. Uh, and Basics 02, hashes and proof of work. Really enjoying the Basics episodes. Thanks, Guy. If you fancy proving Guy's work on a Windows machine, this is how I did it. Okay, I'm not going to actually read out these steps, but if you want to go into the boosts, 
and actually check. Uh, he's got the commands there, which are actually different from the ones that I put in the show notes. Um, but all you need is a SHA-256 hash. So, uh, and seems like this one worked. Uh, he's got just four simple steps if you want to do the hash of H18 and prove that I did, in fact, do proof of work. Thank you for posting that, actually, because I did not know what it was going to be or how to do it on a Windows machine, and I assume that the command I used didn't work. Then we got uh, Fernando boosted back in a thousand stats. Um, why and how to get a Bitcoin job. Stefan Levera, good article. Um, I'm sorry I asked if Brad was a joke. I wasn't sure. Thanks. Dude, I am probably completely forgetting about some reference or something talked about in the show. Uh, I apologize. I have, I have no idea what that reference is. Um, <laughs> JK Trades boosted in 69.9, 699 sats. Noster Impub. All right, sweet. JK, I'll, uh, I'll hit you up on Noster. I'll uh, save that. Then Ganilma boosted 11,111 sats. Uh, MVK on Stone Cold Storage in a Fiat World. That was a great one. A great interview. Love hearing the two of you rip about Freedom Tech. Also can't wait to get my hands on the Q1. Pre-ordered and just waiting for it to ship now. As always, thank you for your good work. Stay humble. Stack sats. Thank you, good sir. And on that note, we will close it out here. Uh, Rad, my screaming, crying baby, is going to need me to console him and get him to sleep. So I'm going to go do that and enjoy my time with him. And I'm going to spend that time thinking about what an awesome world and how much we will be able to change if we stay on this course and hold the freaking line that what world Rad's son or daughter can grow up in. And I will have Alex Svetsky to thank for that tonight. With that, we are done. Thank you guys so much for listening to Bitcoin Audible. Uh, thank you to CoinKite, to Swan Bitcoin, and to Fold for supporting this show. And I will catch you all with another episode tomorrow. Lower your time preference and keep building. Because the only thing that has to change is everything. I'll catch you on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible, guys. And until then, take it easy. Ideas are very important to the shaping of society. In fact, they are more powerful than bombings or armies or guns. And this is because ideas are capable of spreading without limit. They are behind all the choices we make. They can transform the world in a way that governments and armies cannot. Fighting for liberty with ideas makes more sense to me than fighting with guns or politics or political power. With ideas, we can make real change that lasts. Ron Paul. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>